Well, welcome to another uh, post-game edition of the, the Boulders Extra Podcast. We are not mobile. It's, it's the Boulders we are not Extra Value Meal <laughs> Edition. <laughs> well, not quite. Yeah, not quite. We're not mobile. We're not sitting in my truck. We are at uh, an establishment. We fit. I was hungry. A fine dining establishment. I was hungry, and I just made the suggestion, like, let's go record this at some place that's serving food at... 10.45, 10.45, and this is not 4 in the morning, so this is all, like, wonderful. Although this place would serve food at 4 in the morning. So. It would, but they're closing at 11. We were at Steak and Shake, yes, so. What was your name again? Cassie. Cassie? Yeah. All right. Thanks, Cassie. Cassie's our waitress tonight. Shout out to Cassie. <laughs> yes. Ask her if she wanted to be on the podcast. She declined. She said she wasn't very vocal, but she was vocal when she just brought our drinks, which is, I'm having a lemonade, by the way. I think that was more vocal than uh, when uh, we had our photographer, John Terhoon, on the podcast. Cassie has said more words than John did in the uh, hour and a half we were driving with him. Okay, we're here to recap uh, Purdue's uh, win, which we wasn't sure was going to happen well, <laughs> at until, some point. Right. Uh, up until very late in this game, it was yeah. very much in doubt. But uh, Purdue wins 38-36. to Spencer Evans, the game-winning field goal with eight seconds to go. Capped a uh, weird, crazy day, just kind of like Purdue season has been this year. And uh, it was, you know, a game with a lot of twists and turns. Uh, I didn't figure there'd be this many points in this game, but you know, I thought Iowa's defense would kind of find a way to uh, shut, you know, keep Purdue off the scoreboard. But you know, they did, and uh, and you know, Purdue kind of took the same path. Well, first of all. You know, my, my quick hot take on this thing is, um, you know, obviously Purdue still stays alive in the Big Ten West, which still needs a lot of help. It needs to win. It still needs a lot of help. But, um, you know, I thought the offense, my hot take today was the offense really stepped up against what we thought was a really good defense, maybe a better defense than, than Michigan State. But they, they hurt him for the second straight year with the deep ball. You know, this last year was Anthony Mahungu. This year was Terry Wright. But, yeah, I thought the offense really stepped up. And, and, and this was a game they needed to score points, and they did. My first hot take is you always sub chili for your fries at Steak and Shake, <laughs> well, I'm which get, I've done. I'm getting onion rings. It's already sitting in front of me. Onion rings also a decent <laughs> call. Um, my second hot take was, in some ways, this this – this didn't continue the trend that Purdue's had this season because anytime they've had a game that they could lose, they've lost it. Like those other those four victories were really all comfortable victories until tonight. They haven't faced a scenario where they had to come down to the end of the game and get a stop and then make a drive and and finish the game in in the balance like that. They and and, and they kind of had that same situation last week at Michigan State. Could not get the field goal off the ground barely um and this was their they they finally proved that they could have a game of flaws and mistakes and and yes they they did obviously some really good things on offense i actually thought some of those big plays in the first half covered up some pretty uneven play on offense and, and and bailed them out a little bit um but but you know they needed to show that they could have um, a they could win without their a perfect performance. This is not a perfect performance by any means. Yeah, this wasn't this was what Ohio State where right everything kind of went right for you and you capitalized on it and you and you pulled away and uh, and t- took care of business. But 
you know, the fact that they couldn't run the ball effectively until that last drive was a was a surprise, uh, and that the running game got them in position. You know, and Jeff Brom really didn't, you know, admit it, but I, I think he got a little gun shy with David's interceptions in the second half, and you know, thought they could move the ball. Uh, into field goal range and, and have a shot there. And they, you know, they got the benefit of a PI, uh, which you know, obviously Iowa wasn't happy about. You know, so yeah, the the offense was. You know, they they did put up 38 points, which would lead you to to say it was it was a good offense. They had over 400 yards against a defense that, at least by the numbers, was playing lights out. I mean, they were. It was second to Big Ten among Big Ten teams in total defense. For the whole season, not just Big Ten games. Coming right. into this game, right, and you know, I think you know a lot of credit needs to go to the offensive line because they were, you know, we were, you know, surprised today that Grant Herman's uh, is probably going to be out for the rest of the regular season after having uh, uh, meniscus surgery, uh, and that put Eric Swingler uh, in at left tackle, and you know, you know, David David Blau was sacked just once. Now you could say that. Yeah, the offensive line had trouble getting the run game going, which which it did, but when when they needed it, and I think part of that was uh, Iowa was was more concerned about the pass at that point than maybe the run, and that probably created a few openings for them. But I thought the offensive line really they gave David Blau time to to get the ball downfield to Terry Wright and Isaac Zico uh, and, and Rondell Moore. Uh, I, I thought they held up well to that. You know, and I think you may be right about Brom being a little gun shy about the um, the passing game there in that on that final drive. But again, they got the ball at midfield. If they score again on a quick play, how much do you really trust that defense to not give up points going back the other way? I think they needed a the kind of drive that they got, which was I think first play of that series, Marco Jones broke off like a 12-yard run. And then, but then they get a holding call, so now it's second and 20, or first and 20, and then a very short gain to Rondell Moore, so it's second and 18, and that's where they get that pass interference call that kind of bails out the whole thing, because then Knox had a really nice run right after that for like 11 yards. Down yeah, 11 yards. And, and really, from that point on, it's just a matter of setting up the field goal, trying to use as much time as you could. Right. Um, I, I, they needed the drive that they got there, and I had said coming out of the Michigan State game, and some people on um, social media kind of blow me some uh, junk about it, that Purdue still has to, at some point you have to line up head-to-head with a team that's pretty good at stopping the run and find a way to run the ball. Like, you have to do it. And Purdue had to do it there at the end of that game. They weren't doing it earlier in the game. You're finding them in a lot of second and third and long situations. And I do think the offensive line held up pretty well to only give up one sack because they faced a lot of, you know, longer yarded situations where a team could, you know, kind of pin it to your back and come at Blau if it wanted to. And... That, that's still something they need to rectify. But when they had to line up and run the ball, and, and again, that was another way that this game kind of separated from some of the other games this year, the Michigan State game especially, when they had to do it, they were able to get it done in a, in a clutch moment of the game. Well, and I think one thing that probably helped this offense was the uh, the, uh, the, the the throwing the deep balls on first and second down. They didn't wait till they got in third and long before right. where you're in a predictable situation where you're going to throw the ball. I think they came out, and again, this goes back to this coaching staff and and, and uh, the scouting and the scheming that they did during the week to to come to the conclusion that you know if they're going to throw the ball, they're going to throw it on first and second down. Maybe catch them in maybe some run defense situations or just in a 
point where they're not they're not going to blitz or they're not prepared to blitz and you know not fool them but maybe counter some of the things that you've done in the past and that's that's something that I think a lot of football teams do not just Purdue where you're self-scouting a whole lot and okay let's let's try this avenue and they they executed they were successful Terry Wright was able to get behind uh, some cornerbacks and David David was point on with a lot of his throws today as opposed to the Michigan State game but a lot of that was also he was under a lot of fire under a lot of pressure from Michigan State where today the offensive line kept them kept them out of his uh, pocket for for most of the game I mean a lot of that Terry Wright production was them picking on one blue shirt a freshman <laughs> cornerback playing out of position right. basically that's a guy who's going to be a safety long term and they like him I think he's a really good he had a great high school career and a number of facets he's a really good athlete but he was not prepared to take down Terry Wright today or stop Terry Wright today and I think that was a, probably a case of Jeff Brom, Brian Brom, whoever seeing something on film early in the week that they could really exploit in that matchup and Purdue taking full advantage of it, which again, in, Purdue, in recent Purdue history, I don't know if you would have always said that, but that's, I think, a, a new thing you start to see under Jeff Brom. He knows how to read those defenses, find those spots, and really kind of take maximum advantage well, it of it. It goes them. back to what I've said the last two years. I mean, Purdue now has an advantage on the sideline. Or at no. least you're not at a disadvantage. I mean, there are there are good co- there are great coaches in this league across the board, but you're now not at a disadvantage uh, on on the sideline. But it's similar to last year where they they felt like they had a good matchup with Mahungu on whoever the cornerback was last year. I mean, they had they had a uh, I think he was taken in the first round, Josh Jackson. Mm-hmm. So he was on the field last year in Iowa City, uh, and then once. Uh, Mahungu scored those two touchdowns last season in Iowa City. They switched Jackson, but it was too late. Similar to today, where once uh, once their cornerback got beat, they made a switch, but it was it, but it was too late. And but that's again that's that's the good advantage. And you know Rondo Moore had a quiet game. I mean he had well, some nice plays. Not to sound like a coach, but I'd like to go back and watch the film because I imagine this is also a situation too. The first touchdown of this game was went to Isaac Zico on the other side of the field. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure Iowa was probably using some kind of safety help to keep an That's, eye on Moore. They had safety help all day. Right. Yeah. So I that, that again you're talking about now you got single coverage of a grown man necessary <laughs> right, a really fast grown man against a kid who's I don't know it's it's eight games in, but he's still gonna learn how to play football at this yeah. level and um that's a tough matchup, and who uh, exploited it fully in that first half. Oh, but that's that's sometimes the situation produced in on defense, where oh, they've exactly. got they've got guys that you know are not are not guys you would normally have in a Big Ten game. I mean, but, Purdue hit on the deep throws today that Michigan State didn't hit on last week that would have made right. that game look a lot worse than it was. Right. But you know, Rondell Moore had you know kind of a quiet game. He was he didn't practice most of the week. Uh, you know, they they didn't he caught six passes, but they didn't let him. Uh, really bust that big one. Um, and whether that's now this is how teams are going to play him or just Iowa and Michigan State, they have those kind of athletes to maybe bottle him up a little bit where you go to Minnesota next week and they're not going to have that kind of talent on the defensive side side where he might be able to bust three free. But Terry Wright, I mean, this is the kind of performance that they, they've expected from their junior college transfer. Zico, Isaac Zico had, had a similar game in terms of catches and yards earlier in the year and now you have Terry Wright doing it you know I, th- I think that really boosts this 
confidence of this offense another level as they hit the, the final three games. It's Yeah, and it, you bring up the Rondo Moore thing, and that's another wrinkle where you would have said, you know, what are the chances Purdue can beat a team as good as Iowa with just a pedestrian game from Rondo Moore? You would have thought you would have had to have kind of like what he did against Ohio State come out and just kind of take over the game and be this, you know, gremlin that's just flying all over the field scoring all these touchdowns and instead you know, he was just kind of another receiver tonight but again again I think it's I bet if you go back and look at the film you'll see his impact in ways that had nothing to do with the ball being even thrown his way. Yeah, just his presence and we've seen that through the first eight games and now nine. This is presence changes how teams defend Purdue this year compared to last year. Uh, but, uh, Spencer Evans will be stepped up tonight. Oh yeah. In a game in a season where you know, he's missed extra points he's had some injury issues um, probably been a frustrating year for him at times, and he gets to have kind of this signature moment to come out and, and finish off a game, especially, again, one week removed from having a, a similar opportunity and not being able to come through. Well, and also he missed a, the 57-yarder last year at the end of the half. Um, he seemed, you know, ever since the Boston College game where he was, he was ill and he actually threw up on the field. Uh, and then the next week, you know, Jeff Brom really challenging the kickers uh, him and J.D. Dellinger basically having a kickoff throughout that whole week to to determine who would be the kicker uh, coming up. You know, I, I, they never really lost faith in him, and they always wanted him to be the kicker because the goal is to redshirt Dellinger this year to give him an extra season, uh, you know, coming up down down the line. But, yeah, they, they got the ball in good position for him. Um, you know, I think he's been really good inside 40 yards. But when you get outside 40 yards – you know, that's where he's had his issues. Not this year, but last year, too. And it would have been really curious if Purdue didn't have the P.I. Right. And they lined up to kick a 46-47 yarder. He said, uh, I talked to him after the game, he said he was comfortable from 54 yards. So that means that Purdue was going to have to uh, get to the 34 at least when they started that drive. And they, they got inside there. Yeah. Uh, but he told me when uh, when they got the PI, he was like, okay. <laughs> he he felt a lot better, yeah. and it was just a matter of of lining up, getting it in the right spot, which they didn't. They got a, it was supposed to go to the middle of the field, but I think DJ Knox cut back, and then got tackled at the hash mark, and so it was a little bit of an odd angle. But it was the 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 left side was better than the right side based based on just where the ball was and his his angle on the kick, and you know the there's probably some thought that Purdue maybe should have tried to get a touchdown there, uh, at least attempted, because a lot of coaches just don't want to put the game in the hands or the or the feet of a kicker. Yeah, it just a lot of things can go wrong. Uh, but I agree with Jeff Rom though. You're inside the 10 yard line. You got to make that field goal. Right. Well, like, yeah, you have no, to you, be able you to do. have that confidence. But I'm talking before they got the first and goal situation. Maybe yeah. you and they tried. They tried to take a shot. Uh, you know, when they got the P.I. Right. But uh, a lot of things can go wrong. And uh, Joe Tiller used to bemoan the whole every every kicker. He just <laughs> he had disdain for kickers because they they cost him more games than they won. And uh, uh, it probably did. But uh, it probably just it right. remains in your head that right. it cost you. But more I do agree with you that I, I would you know maybe we can follow up with Jeff on on Monday. But I, I do and I don't know how much he'd admit that admit admit this. But you know I think he didn't want to leave Iowa any time. Because he saw what happened exactly. against Missouri, where they were able to march right down the field, and Iowa was having success, you know, moving the ball tonight, especially when they hit the tight ends. You know, they finished with less than 400 yards. It seemed like more. Right. Uh, with when you look at 36 points. Well, they also had some 
shortish fields. Well, they had the turnover. Happened in yeah, they had, they had the turnover. Yeah, they had the turnover uh, there. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to hang too much on the offense, but I do want to talk about David Blah. I really thought he had a nice bounce back effort, and he had the time to do it. But I thought his throws were were much more on target today than they were against Michigan State. And uh, eventually, I thought he was a little rough early on. He was leaving uh, some balls kind of high and leaving his receivers in some some tough spots. Um, I, I know, I remember one with to DJ Knox who was high, one on a more of the middle that was high, but he did kind of settle down after that. But at the same time, I mean, he nearly had the catastrophic play of the game with the interception that got was a pick six that wasn't a pick six, but then pretty soon after was a touchdown also uh, right. for Iowa. And it had a, a, a really crucial point of the game. I mean, he really needed to just, even if he couldn't get points, put some kind of drive together, flip the field, and instead, very first play, he throws it right into the arms of it. The, the only guy on the field who could have caught it was the Iowa guy, and um, it was nearly what cost him the game. So... Um, how much of that is on him? How much of that is, again, sometimes they're playing at a level where they have to play mistake-free in order to win a game, and, and tonight they found a way for that not to be the case. I think that's important. I think it allows the team to play with a little bit more confidence and not be under so much pressure. That it, I think you saw that early this season when they were playing so tight, and, and I know Jeff Brom, Jeff Brom says that they have to play with you know more aggressive. He takes... More aggression. He takes the blame for that 0-3 start because they weren't playing aggressive enough, and maybe that helped kind of loosen them up a little bit. But I think you, you, at some point you have to walk away knowing, boy, we we sure didn't play all that well tonight, but we played well enough to win. We did what we had to do to win. Right, but you know, Blau has four touchdowns. They covered 36, 82, three, and 41. So they, they were able to hit the big plays tonight against a defense that doesn't give up big plays. And it goes back to some of the personnel that Iowa had on the field, but you, you know you still have to make those plays. Those are plays that Purdue didn't make against Michigan State. Uh, but I thought it was a nice bounce-back game for him, and he did run into trouble in the second half, and it was it was shaping up to be one of those he had you know one too many turnover right. games because that, that whole sequence, you know, they scored – uh, a bunch of points uh, in about two minutes to take the lead, and you thought, well, okay, they had their opportunity, and it, it went away. You know, defensively, we're going to look at 36 points given up. You're going to, you know, see some big plays. It's uh, better than the score would indicate. I again, I, I again, this defense did what it's done most of the year. It's kept teams out of the end zone when it needed to. It's given up some big plays. Uh, but you know they, you know, not to steal the line, but they are who they are, <laughs> and they're really not gonna, they're really not gonna change. They're not going to get leaps and bounds better, but they're not gonna get progressively worse. I mean, it's just this is who they're going to be, and when they play, you know, potent offense. I, you know, I think Iowa's got a pretty, pretty good offense yeah. with the two tight ends. They, they probably lack some. They lack a solid running game. But you know the receivers but they are okay. Don't like a solid offensive line. Right, but you know to give up less than 400 yards, but you did give up 36 points. Yeah. Again, the defense did what it had to do, and that's that's the way this team is going to play. Yeah, I mean, I thought this was really good. I thought they were bringing pressure, and Iowa repelled it for the most part. Um, I, I thought that I, I don't know how dynamic I think any of these Iowa running backs are necessarily, but I thought Iowa's offensive front was getting a a really good push, especially in the first half of this game, and, and giving them some opportunities to kind of gash out some yards. Um, 
so yeah, I agree. I, I think you know, Purdue, Purdue's defense has played well enough for them to be on a six-game winning streak right now. They're they're just they, the offense didn't get it done against Michigan State, and that's the difference. Right. Uh, but I, you know, again, tonight was or today was another example that Purdue cannot generate a pass rush with with four guys. Right. It needs help, uh, and they'll continue to to, to find help there. But you now they couldn't generate a pass rush tonight against Iowa's offensive line. Now maybe maybe you could do some things next week against Minnesota and maybe against Indiana. It's going to be hard. Uh, against uh, Wisconsin to do that. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. Enjoy, guys. All right. Good deal. Uh, what'd you get? This is a, a bacon double cheeseburger, okay. I believe. Yeah, I got the prime steak burger. For a reason, they gave me some big knife. I don't know it's how... It's a steak burger. <laughs> That's classy. It is. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, but, you know, Purdue only had one sack tonight, three tackles for loss. Um, so... They're going to have to continue to find ways to bring pressure, but they're still going to have to manufacture it from more than from more than four guys, and that's uh, that's just something that's going to happen. And again, they 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 did what they had to do. Uh, they didn't have a turnover tonight. I think that stops the string. Or a takeaway, or a takeaway tonight. Right. So that's, and I, that stops the string. And this again seemed like one of those games where. If you lose the turnover battle, or if you can't take a possession away from Michigan State or Iowa, I mean, at all, what does that put you in a position to do? I mean, can you win a game under those circumstances? And they found a way to do it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm intrigued, kind of something you just you touched on in passing. So we, we, we talked all along about how big this stretch of games is going to be for Purdue, the Ohio State, Michigan State, Iowa kind of trifecta. And now they come out of it, two out of three wins. I think coming into the season would have been some, maybe a mild surprise. And um, now, how does that set them up in some of these later games against a team like Minnesota, against a team like Indiana? They've, they've raised their level and proven they can beat teams at this caliber. And now, what does that mean when they go, even on the road, at a place like Michigan, Minnesota? It's obviously been a, a rough year for them, but... Does it lead to a, one of those more convincing wins like we saw earlier this year against Nebraska, against Illinois? Can they continue to go on the field against teams that it, it looks like it's proven now are less than them and just and take care of business rather than get into a situation where like they were getting into these first three games of the year? Yeah, I mean, that I think uh, next week's going to tell us that, whether they, you know, they kind of told us that after the Boston College win where they went to Nebraska and they went to Illinois and won those games convincingly. Uh, and then we, you know, then they hit the stretch of, you know, Ohio State, Michigan State, and Iowa, and how are they going to fare in that? And you know, they're one game away from being bowl eligible. They're still in the Big Ten West conversation, even though they they need help, they need a lot of help, and they have to take care of their own business. It's not it's not an impossible task, but you know, if you win out, the worst you're going to be second in the Big Ten West. And I, I didn't what, think what, I, what a step forward. Well, I, I didn't think that they would be in that position at the beginning of the year, and no one thought they'd be in that position when you start 0-3, even though those are three non-conference games. Uh, but, yeah, they are – I think next week will we'll show us another sign of how far this team slash program has come because if you go out – if you go up to Minnesota and do what you did at Nebraska and Illinois, I think that will be a significant step 
to, to show that you know like I think like we we talked to the players about their, their maturity level and being able to handle um, you know the win over Boston College and then being able to handle the win over Ohio State granted they didn't win at Michigan State but I didn't think that was as much of a letdown game as it was that Michigan State was just better that day uh, and, and Purdue was not good it was not its best offensively but I th- you know and I you know, I don't think Jeff Brown would do anything different after the Ohio State game he let them enjoy that win maybe a few hours more or a day more than what you normally would and so like if you get your program to a championship level those wins just become you know what they are and you just move on to the to the next one but that one was special would always be special um, and I don't think he'd change that and I don't I don't think people would want him to change that but now you're getting in the last three games and you you know you're in November you got a lot to play <laughs> they really have a lot to play for absolutely and even if you don't win the West you're moving up the pecking order in the bowl selection where you have a guy like Rondell Moore you have a dynamic offense you've got You've got the coach that most teams in the, in the country want, so that's going to raise your hot profile, you know, when it comes to bowl selection. Yeah, I mean, we could go on all night, but your, your food's getting cold. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't want to deprive you of a warm meal. It's but fine. Yeah, I, I think it's you know Purdue fans for the second year in a row are going to have a lot to root for in November, and it and and it's setting up for them not to come down to, you know, this is the kind of game where if they lost it the way they lost it. Then you wonder how much. Then you go in. Maybe you go into that Indiana game five and six, and you're like, it just goes on that list of, of the, the ones that got away that ended up costing you a lot this season. Instead, they find a way to win it, and now it sets up to be something that flips the narrative altogether. So, um, it, it sets up an interesting final three. Weeks. But just to kind of set the stage for the Big Ten West, Northwestern's at five and one. Northwestern lost all of its non-conference games this year. They lost to Notre Dame tonight. So they're 0-3 in a non-conference, 5-1 in the Big Ten. Those are the games that only matter. But this is set the stage. Uh, Purdue and Wisconsin are tied for second uh, at 4-2. Both Northwest, both Wisconsin and Purdue lost to Northwestern, so they're, they're losing head-to-head tiebreakers. Basically, Purdue has to win out, and Northwestern has to lose twice. And Northwestern's got Iowa next week, so Purdue fans automatically become fans of the Hawkeyes. Uh, and then uh, Northwestern has to go to Minnesota and they host Illinois. It doesn't appear that they are going to lose two of their last three games. I think the only one they could potentially lose would probably be Minnesota, but, you know, Illinois laid the hammer and the woodshed woodshed and other things to Minnesota today, scoring over 60, 55 points or something like that. Yeah, They had over 600 yards. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, anything's possible, but Purdue still has Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Indiana. So it, it, it doesn't it doesn't get easier for them, but they, they still need help. Uh, it's not impossible. You know, it's something that Purdue fans should really be interested in. But and I don't think the season comes down to whether they win the Big Ten West or not. It's about, right now it's about improving what you did last year right. and, and taking that next step. I, you know, if Purdue can lose a home to Eastern Michigan, then... Northwestern can certainly lose to Minnesota. However, so can Purdue. Purdue <laughs> could lose at Minnesota this coming Sunday or Saturday. It's not out of the realm of possibility. So, you know, um, this is where the, the one-game season comes into play. Um, we, we can take 
a step back and look and say, you know, it's potential. Purdue could end this season with nine wins still. But this could be a nine-win season. Like, again, they're going to have to win out to do that. But just that we're talking in November about this being a potential nine-win season is is a is a jump in a, of itself. Well, then the you're talking maybe ten. Well, then, yeah, you think, yeah, it just raises. Hey, it's not even thing, midnight, so. and we got crazy talk going on. <laughs> I mean, they can't get to ten this year mathematically unless they win the West. Right. They could, I guess, potentially get to ten that way, which would just really obviously be insane, <laughs> and it obviously makes it much harder to win that tenth game because you're putting yourself into an even better bowl. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you, 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 there's conversations happening around Purdue football in November that have not been going happening around Purdue football in November for a long, long time. And that in and of itself is something that fans should, I would hope, are probably enjoying. For the team, thank you. For the team, we're already onto the second uh, vanilla coat, so we've been here a while. Um, the uh, but for the for the team, obviously, the focus has to be on uh, a Minnesota team. They saw what happened to Indiana a couple weeks ago up there, so um, and that was on a Friday night, so they probably literally saw some of them what was happening. You have to watch it, so. Um, you know, PJ Fleck will try to row the boat, and uh, well, that, better be that's right. Bo- that boat, that boat sank today. It's got some holes it in it. Yeah, yeah really. All I right, think well, Stan Lovey's beard. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here from uh, our new location, Captain not White not beard. a permanent location, but just a new location from uh, maybe tonight. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Well, see how it goes. All right, anyway, Purdue a winner, 38-36. This is the post game edition of the Boulder Boulders Extra Podcast. And we'll be back next week with a more extended version. Look ahead to Minnesota. Uh, Purdue men's basketball gets underway Tuesday with their opener against Fairfield. And uh, and then uh, they play Ball State next Saturday. So kind of two games to get their season rolling. And uh, we'll recap what they did in the exhibition game and what, what those two early season games might look like for for Matt, Matt Painter's team. That also means for the first time this year, the Boilers extra post-game podcast will be split. We won't be together next Saturday. I'll be here at Mackey Arena, and you'll be up at uh, TCF, TFC Bank Something Stadium. like that. Uh, so it's a, I've already looked at the long-range weather forecast. I've made Below four, freezing. I've made four basketball <laughs> trips to Minnesota, and on two of them, I had to stay up there extra days because I couldn't fly back. I don't think that's the case. It's just so, going to be cold. Well, yeah, it is Minnesota. It is November. So. Right. Anyway, all right, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next week with a more extended version. Until next time, this is Mike Carmen, uh, and for Nathan Baird, and we'll talk to you next week.